want to invite you to have a seat. As you do, I'll introduce myself. My name is Josh McLean. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to open God's Word with you this morning and to, uh, uh, to preach. But before I do that, I want to dismiss a, a portion of our group, that's Hubtown Kids. And so uh, if you are um, in the, the Blue Station or the Gray Station, you can go ahead and exit out now. Blue Station, ages three to five, you'll be heading this way with Chuck and Paula. Um, and then the Gray Station on this side, ages six, all the way up to fifth grade. If you just walked in and you've not checked your child in, it's perfectly acceptable for you to, if your kid is interested in going to one of these, um, to uh, go and check them in now. And you can catch back up with us here in a few minutes after you get them checked in. Today they're going to be learning this lesson in both, both uh, classes. God has always existed. God has always existed. And here's the explanation. He had no beginning and he will have no end. This is based out of Psalm 90, verse 2. And so I regularly challenge you, uh, those of you who are left here, uh, to interact with our kiddos and ask them this question. It will really bring you a lot of joy. It does me uh, to, to catch one of the kids or for them to, to run up and kind of like uh, tackle my leg and tell me what they learned. It happens on a regular basis. It's a lot of joy. But you could even preemptively ask the kids what they learned today about God. And I'm sure they'll, in broken English, explain to you that he always existed. Speaking of always existing here, we've got the word of God, which makes much of Christ. We're going to be opening it up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, if you don't have a copy of uh, the Bible, you're welcome to use the black hardback Bible that's right in front of you. I'll turn to the page here in my copy of that book and uh, let you know what page we'll be on. That looks like we're going to be on page 1,195. So again, in the black hardback Bible in front of you, page 1,195. We're going to look specifically at verses 20 through 21 there in chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 20 to 21. See what the word of God has to say. But before we, actually before we do, let me, let me ask you to do this exercise. If you're comfortable to do so, would you close your eyes just for a moment and picture a scene of profound significance. A room filled with hushed voices and tender embraces. Loved ones gather around the bed where a man, weathered by the weight of years, lies with a peace that surpasses understanding. In that room, we are witnessing together the convergence of faith, legacy, and the anticipation of what lies beyond. There, as we consider this loved one passing on, realize that it's Isaac, but it's also Jacob and Joseph. These three generations, these three forefathers, bound by a common bond of unwavering trust in God. Their years, few and evil, filled with challenges and disappointments. However, their faith propelled them forward, not only for their own sake, but for the sake of generations to come. You can open your eyes. Today, as we uncover the remarkable stories of these three men, I want to invite you to reflect on your own journey of faith and consider this morning with me the profound impact that you can have on the future generations of faith. And so let's step into that sacred room, if you will. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 to 21. The scriptures say this. 
by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of a staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word this morning. Father, again, we, we pause and we ask that you meet us here. You say this just about every week. There's not any level of wisdom or skill that will help us to understand this apart from the work of your Holy Spirit whom we recognize is with us now. And Jesus, we pray in your name that we would understand this text and as a result of understanding that our hearts would be changed into men and women of faith. This is our prayer. Amen. Right up front, I just want to give you a, an overview of how I intend to use our time this morning. We've, we've read the text, and now I'd like to point out a few observations from the text. We won't be doing that very long until we move on to interact with what I believe is rising up from the text as the main idea I'll introduce that main idea, and then we'll spend the final moments preparing for the communion table as we discuss the application of that main idea. And so first, as we work through some observations, look at verse 20. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau, both sons of Isaac, here, Isaac on his deathbed invoking future blessings on them. Lexham Press Dictionary defines blessing as the speech act of praying or asking for divine favor or protection. And it's often in accordance with what God has already revealed as his will to do so. So to bless is to ask God to do what he has already said he intends to do. And here, Isaac is invoking these blessings on his two sons. God's already promised to do exactly what he's asking, and now he proclaims that blessing before God. Here in verse 20, we see Abraham's special son. Now, last week we saw Abraham, and the week before we saw Abraham doing the work of faith, and now today we see his son, Isaac, doing a work of faith. And that's really, really interesting. Neither is it a, or a, 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 a coincidence. Abraham's life of faith was imparted to Isaac. That's often how God works. Nevertheless, we see here as Isaac blesses his sons, we see remnants of what God had promised Abraham. And what had God promised Abraham many years before? Well, he promised that he would make of Abraham a great nation with many descendants, chiefly through Isaac. He also promised Abraham that he would give him the land and that he would bless them that bless him, and he would, God would curse them that curse Abraham, and finally that all nations would be blessed through Abraham. We won't take the time this morning, though I encourage you to do so, but Genesis 27, verses 26 to 29, they kind of outline this and record the blessing that Isaac declares upon Jacob, and it's full of remnants of this promise that Isaac had heard God had given to his father Abraham. Now at the end of his life, he proclaims these blessings on his sons, directly in line with what God had already promised his father. 
littered with promises made by God to Abraham. But look at the next verse there in chapter 11. It talks of Jacob living by faith as well. At the end of his life, we we see a little bit of a different Jacob. Often, Jacob's life was full of him deceiving and conniving and trying to get what he thinks God has promised him, but not living in reverence towards God, really just getting what he thinks is his. But here at the end of his life, what do we see in verse 21? He bows his head in reverence. He's come to the end of his wrestling. He's tired. He's got nothing left there on his bed about to die. He reverences himself before God, and he declares a blessing on his grandsons. It says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, which was his son, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. He's certainly at the end of himself, but he is full of confidence in God. He was a man of great, great faith. But lastly, we look at the faith of Joseph there in verse 22. And it manifests itself a little bit differently. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. At the end of his life, he references a past promise. I want to invite you to look with me at Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 and following. Hopefully it'll be on the screen for you this morning. Genesis 50, 24, 25, and 26. This is what the word of God says. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. I love this story. Joseph, at the end of his life, goes over the list of promises that Joseph knew God had given to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and and to his own sons. He looks at the score and he says, there's still something I can see that hasn't taken place yet. At least one part of the promise is, we're not in the land, but God will fulfill his promise, and I do not want my body to be left in Egypt. I want it to be in the land that was promised. And so he gathers his boys around, and he says, I want you to listen to me. Read my lips. God is going to visit you when he does, and he takes you back to the land that was promised, do not leave my body here. Why does he give those instructions to his sons? Because he believed in God's promise to him. And so these three men, obviously men of faith, trusting in God, trusting in his promises, lifted up for us as men of faith to emulate. Faith. Notice their faith. But also notice their stage of life. Each of these men are in the same stage of life, happening at different times, but then collected together and placed here in these verses. What's similar between the three? Well, look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. 
Now, you can't see it in verse 20, but if you go back into Genesis, you can see that, that Isaac is on his deathbed. Isaac, the father of Jacob and Esau, he's in bad shape. He's, he's bedridden. He's blind. And in that moment, he blesses Jacob according to the promise. He's about to die. But then look at verse 21. It says, by faith, Jacob, it's explicitly mentioned, when dying, he also gives a blessing. Clearly, Jacob reached the end of his life. And so we have Isaac, we have Jacob, and here, lastly, in verse 22, we have Joseph, explicitly mentioned in verse 22, at the end of his life. What do we notice? That these men were able to see past the grave. They were able to see past their own lives, the ending of their time here on earth. Instead of panic, instead of doubt, they're calm. They're forward-looking. They believe that God would provide. They believe that he would fulfill the promise, even if not totally in their lifetimes. Now, before we begin to discuss the utility or the application of this passage for us, I want to make one more observation from the text. Notice the generations that are included in, in these blessings. First look at Isaac. Who does Isaac bless? Isaac blesses his sons, the next generation. But the second person in our passage, who does he bless? He doesn't bless his sons, He blesses his grandsons. And then finally, look at Joseph. In a sense, who is Joseph blessing? Who's he giving instruction to? Who's he declaring the promise of God to? Well, not to his sons alone, and not to their sons, and not even to their sons, but at least to four generations mentioned here. What is this indicating for us? Church, their faith didn't end with themselves. They were able to see past the end of their lives. By faith, they looked past their own graves and they made preparation for future generations of faith. And really, that's the main idea this morning. Yes, it's about faith, but in addition to true faith and it leading us to action, we understand that true faith, the main idea, It makes preparation for future generations of faith. True faith makes preparation for future generations of faith. Let me ask you this morning, are you preparing for future generations of faith? Are you preparing for future generations of faith? Well, you say, well, I didn't realize that that's what we were doing this morning. Well, uh, you're in luck because I've prepared three suggestions for you, really from this text that I think would help us as believers in Jesus Christ to prepare for future generations of faith. And the first one I want to offer you this morning, the first suggestion, is that you yourself look past your grave. Look past your grave. The wise King Solomon said that it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party, essentially. And it stands to reason that it might even be better to consider our own funerals. 
this morning instead of the funeral of another. The Bible plainly tells each of us this morning that our lives will one day come to an end. There's not a one of us whose life here on earth will not end. These men, they came to the end of their lives, they came to the end of themselves, and they knew it was not truly the end. Though their part of the story was ending, they understood that life and the story of God's redemption amongst his people, it would continue. The promise would be fulfilled, but not in their lifetime. And that's such a challenging bit to swallow. You, like me, have come into this world naturally thinking that it is about you, that it is about me, and the truth is, it's not. That's one reason why life can be so difficult for many of us, because it's a hard lesson to learn. Even after we start our new lives in Christ, there's a leftover part of us, this selfish flesh that desires to continue to view every single thing that we experience, every part of our own timeline, as if we are the center, we are the interpretation of all of the things that take place. But our text confronts us in that state with a much-needed mindset shift. If I could offer it gently to you this morning. God's promises may include you, but they are not primarily about you. God's purposes in this life are not primarily about you. You say that, well, that's contrary to the gospel that I've heard before. Well, you're not reading, maybe the gospel that you've received is not the gospel that God declares. The the good news is that God has reconciled sinful man to himself to bring himself much glory Christian, you're in the covenant family of God and you are loved and simultaneously, this is not your story. Jake, Jocelyn, Galatians 2.20 says this to you this morning and to the rest of us who are in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jake, Jocelyn, understand that you, in a sense, died with Christ on the cross. And while you currently live, it is Christ who lives in you. Your lives and the lives of all the other Christians do not belong to us. They belong to Jesus. This is what the word of God teaches us. And so look past your own lives. Look past your own graves. And as you do, live without despair. Often at the end of our lives, we ask the question, what's the use? It's all over. My life's been short and evil, as Jacob says. Few and evil have been the years, he says, and not to be compared to that of my father's and his father's. Don't live in despair as you come to the end of your life or even as you consider the end of your life, though you may have much time between now and then, realize that it's not about you. And as you do, you'll escape despair. Brothers and sisters who are closer to that celestial city, Your journey has brought you to the river's edge and you can't see much more between you and that river. Don't give up at the end of your life. Recognize that 
part of the purpose of your life is to make preparation for future generations of faith. Don't be surprised when your time is up and now you're the one blessing the children before you sleep for the last time. That's part of your purpose. Literally, to allow Christ to live through your resurrected body and allowing you to make preparation for future generations of faith. If we're to look past our own grave, we're not going to live for ourselves. Remember, your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. You belong to King Jesus. Our faith delivered to us, it will be passed on to our children and to our children's children until he comes. Faith allows us to think this way. It allows us to look past our own lives. We can look past the grave to the promise of God because really, true faith doesn't just carry you to the grave so that you can give up. True faith carries you past the grave. It bears you up through the grave. This is what true faith does. So there needs to be a mindset shift. The purpose of your life is not for yourself, and it doesn't end with you, brother, sister. Look beyond the grave. It's a mindset shift. You say, Pastor Josh, this is how I'm to think this morning. In order to make preparations for future generations of faith, this is how I'm to think, but what am I to do in order to make preparations for future generations of faith? I think this way, but what will that lead me to do? Here's my second suggestion. Leave an inheritance. Leave an inheritance. Look with me at Proverbs 13, verse 22. Proverbs 13, verse 22. The scriptures say this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. There's a lot being said here, but one of the points that we could really draw out of this proverb is this, that as God blesses a good man, that good man considers the next generation and the generation after him. Whereas the ungodly, the unfaithful, they spend it all and they mismanage their wealth on their own lusts. The sinful man, also in a sense blessed by God, having his own wealth, spends it on himself, loses it, and in the end, he has nothing to give to his children nor his children's children. The call to leave an inheritance is the next logical step to the one who sees past the grave. You see, instead of divvying up and scheduling out your resources so that you have just enough to die comfortably, instead of that, consider how you can harness every bit of what you can to be spent for Christ in your life now and whatever's left to be left for the cause of Christ. Speaking concretely, have you considered where your wealth goes when you leave this world? When your body is laid to rest, where does what you have accumulate, where does it go? Well, scriptures here say a, a good man doesn't waste his grandchildren's inheritance, and neither does a Christian waste his Lord's inheritance. Do you realize this morning, friends, that what we just witnessed in that baptistry through that window, with that mural, with this 
beautiful sanctuary, this beautiful auditorium, what we've just witnessed and where we have witnessed it is afforded to us in large part by the saints who have gone before us, who sacrificed, who gave, went without what many in this life would think was a necessity, There's so many brothers and sisters, even since I've been the pastor here, that as they left this world, they left an inheritance, a financial one, to the work that God is doing right here. And in that way, they've made contributions to future generations of faith. I think of Mrs. Kemp. And I feel odd to even say her name because I don't know who she is. And I would argue that most of you, if not all of us, don't know who she is. But there's a fund that we have as a church able to do the ministry that God has called us to do in small part because of her faithfulness and her forward-looking, looking looking beyond her own life, looking beyond her own grave and saying, I'll make an investment and I'll leave a heritage for God's work here in Hagerstown. What will you leave behind? Have you considered a part of your own estate going toward the advancement of Christ's church and the ministry here in Hagerstown? You say, this sounds an awful lot like a, a commercial. This is what we read in the scripture that those of faith leave everything for the work of God. Not just here in Hagerstown, but around the world. You say, well, this is not a concern for me this morning because I don't really have an inheritance to leave for my children. I don't have two pennies to rub together, and so maybe this has nothing to do with me. If that's you here this morning, allow me to offer some correction for you. You might think, like me, that you don't have much to give your children. Have you ever thought about the fact that the word inheritance is related to the word heritage? It's the same root. Inheritance and heritage. I doubt, children, that I'll have much to leave you Of course, you probably know that. You can fight over my collection of tools. I know you'll be excited about that. But I plan to leave you much more than just a set of outdated tools that are worn out. I plan to leave you a heritage, a rich heritage of faith. And you can do the same thing. And church, you can do the same thing. This is exactly what we see the patriarchs of faith doing in this passage that we've just looked at. Consider with me. What did Isaac leave behind for Jacob? What did he leave? Well, we could say it was sort of a a tattered IOU that he got from his father who got it from God. IOU, the promised land. That's what Jacob left, or was left by Isaac. And what if Jacob handed down to Joseph's sons? Really, it's the same IOU, now more dilapidated, more broken down. Jacob says to his grandsons, he says, don't let the tattered edges mislead you, boys. That signature at the bottom belongs to Yahweh. He has promised he's good for it. That's what he leaves to his sons, a reminder of the promise. And it's the same thing with Joseph. Joseph reminds his sons and his sons' sons and their sons about a moving day that's been scheduled some 400 years in advance. He doesn't leave much in the way of riches, but something magnificent nonetheless Brothers and sisters, we are commanded like these forefathers, these patriarchs, to leave an inheritance of faith and of faithfulness. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, instructs the people of the promise in this way. For parents, it says, and for the congregation as a whole, you shall teach them the promises of God, the commandments of God. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. We've been commanded to invest in our children and into future generations of faith. There's a Greek proverb that I think is so profound. It says this, a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. A society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. Speaking materially, we all understand that our children and grandchildren could use an inheritance if afforded them. And it's no different spiritually other than to say that it is far more important to leave a spiritual inheritance Every time you have a spiritual conversation with your child parent, you plant an acorn for future faith. Every time you teach in Hubtown Kids, and you're not here to hear it because you're teaching in Hubtown Kids, but every time you teach in Hubtown Kids, you plant an oak tree for the future. Every time you paint a background for VBS, something as inconsequential you may think as painting a background for VBS, you contribute to the forest of faith in the future. Every time you volunteer in the nursery and you hold a baby that seems to be inconsolable, you're planting a towering oak tree for the future. One that the Greeks say you may never sit under and one that the word of God says you will sit under with alongside those you planted the tree for. Church, if if we could look with eyes of faith toward the forest that we are planting as a local church, if you could see it right now, it's incredible. Only see it with faith and don't lose heart. Can you see that forest that we're planting? Can you see it now? Look beyond the grave, church. Leave an inheritance. And finally, how do we prepare for future generations of faith? We declare and protect the promise. We declare and protect the promise. Isaac and Jacob, they bless their sons And in that blessing, what are they doing other than making a declaration and a protection of that declaration? They're drawing a line in the sand. They're making a clear statement to their children. Boys, God has promised and he is faithful. Trust in him. Expect in him. He'll fulfill the promise is what those fathers were saying. Regarding Joseph, he instructed his family in accordance with the promise. It was also a declaration. But here's what I love about Joseph's story. And if you can just kind of use your imagination as you read Joseph's story. He demanded that they swear that they would carry his body to Canaan land, the promised land. Can you imagine Joseph at the end of his life? We don't know what he looked like or how he spoke, but we've... We've met those older gentlemen in our own lives, maybe our own grandfather, and maybe you could describe him as cantankerous or at least persistent. Swear, boy, swear. You'll take my body to the promised land when God takes you there. We swear, we swear, Grandpa, that 
We will take your body if God comes. If, if God comes, no, when. Say it. Say it with me. Swear with me. When God comes, you'll take my bones to the promised land. What's he doing? What's Joseph doing as he makes his children swear? He's declaring a promise, and he's protecting that promise. You better believe for the next hundred years, every time they saw the tomb of Joseph, that they knew, they knew what that was. And if they did, and Grandpa, what, whose, whose tomb is that? Well, that's your great, great, great grandfather, Joseph. And he's a bit of a crazy guy. He, he told us that one day God would deliver us and take us out of this land. But, of course, that was before we'd been sold into slavery. That was, be, that was before we had become slaves of Pharaoh. And yet that promise, Joseph, he still declared it. Though past the grave, he declared it and he protected it by his instructions to his descendants. And you better know, when they left Egypt, when God broke Pharaoh's back and his will, they gathered up the bones of Joseph and they took them with them to Canaan. This morning, you may be asking, how exactly do I make preparations for future generations of faith? How do we join in the work? How do I declare and protect the promise of God? Well, I can't think of a better way to declare and protect, to hedge about the promise of God than to participate in the Lord's Supper. Partaking in communion is, is not only a personal act of remembrance but it's also a powerful symbol of passing down the faith from one generation to the next. Just as Isaac invoked future blessings and Jacob blessed his grandsons and Joseph made provisions for his descendants, we partake in communion, the tangible reminder of the ultimate act of preparation for future faith, the sacrificial love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jocelyn, this is the first time that we'll take communion together. This is the first time. But the truth is that one day I'll be gone and we won't take communion together. And I plan to leave a heritage of faith to you and to your children and to your children's children. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Because while I'll be gone, you'll not be alone. And you will work to leave a legacy of faith also. King Jesus will return one day, but until that day, remain faithful and prepare for future generations of faith. And we'll do that as we take communion together today. Church, as we gather together today, we receive from this table, we are making future preparations of faith. Jesus said, until I come, continue to do this. As often as you, as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As he takes that last cup there he says this is the last time that I'll take of the and drink of the of the fruit of the vine until I come again and he says continue to commemorate the work that I've done church until I do return and in this way we make preparation for future generations of faith if you're here today and you say I don't I don't yet believe in all this well, if that's you, I want you to know I'm, I'm truly glad that you're here. I want you to be here. I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you. But the, the truth is I, I want to ask you to abstain from receiving from the table. 
If you don't yet believe that Jesus' broken body and shed blood has afforded for you a right relationship with God, restoration to God the Father, then I want to ask you to, to abstain. Additionally, this morning, if, if you're not a baptized believer, committed to walking in community with Jesus and his church, I want to ask you again as well to abstain from the table. Before we receive from the table, I want to ask you, though, to take a moment and examine your own heart. I want to invite you to confess any sin that you're holding on to this morning. I want to invite you to renew your commitment to live a life that reflects the faith and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a time of worship. This is a time of joy. This is a time of confession and repentance and restoration in the church. And I want to invite you as the music plays now to reflect on the meaning of the body and the blood and what it has afforded for you. So church, would you do that now? Would you spend time in in prayer? Father, you've called us to make preparations for future generations of faith. I can't think of anybody who's made a greater contribution to our faith than the one who was obedient even to the point of death. Jesus, There is no faith apart from you. There is no salvation apart from you. And as your people this morning, we come to your table. We're reminded of your broken body and your shed blood. And in that we say thank you for faith. We recognize that it's by faith or through faith that we've been saved. This is faith that you have made and given to us. And we in turn celebrate what you've done and make preparation for future generations to come because of the hope that we have in you. Father, we pray a blessing on this now. You have promised that there's something good here for us this morning to be reminded of what you've done. And you've told us that Your people should come to your table. And so we receive from it now as your church. 
we ask according to this promise that you would bless it. And we give you thanks because we know that you will. Jesus, we love you. We ask all of these things in your name.